I don't know if you like reading or what type of TV programs you like watching, but one of people's favorite types of book to read are often biographies. They read about people's lives, and, and very often they just find them really compelling and very interesting. Or maybe you're someone like me who maybe isn't so much the reading biographies, but you like watching them on TV. You like watching programs about people's lives and finding out all about them. But one of the things, whether you read biographies or whether you watch documentaries about people's lives on TVs, one of the things that you'll always find is that there's very surprising things about their lives. Anyone's life you read about, anyone's life you find out about, there will always be things that surprise you. One of the people that I watched uh, some programs on recently was Walt Disney. And, and as I learned about his life, there were a number of things I found absolutely fascinating and completely and utterly surprising. Like, did you know that the first famous Disney character was not Mickey Mouse? Did you know that? No, Walt Disney's first famous character was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. In 1928, Universal Studios asked Walt Disney to make them a character, and he did. He made them Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Oswald took off for Universal. There was merchandise, there were TV programs. It was a real hit. But after a few years, Walt Disney went to New York to, to renegotiate the contract for Oswald, and Universal staged a coup. They took his animators away from him, they took the rights away from him, and Walt Disney was left with nothing. And on the long train ride back from New York City to California, it was on that train ride actually that Walt Disney sketched a new character, Mickey Mouse. But so surprising. Whenever you read about the lives of people, there are things that are absolutely stunning and shocking and surprising. And over these next six weeks, as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at these chapters, we're going to find out some things that are really surprising about Jesus. Things that the first readers of the gospel would have been surprised about. Things that the people we meet in these chapters would have been surprised about. And things that if you and I decide to take a fresh look at Jesus, if we decide to look at him with, with fresh eyes, that I think we will find completely and utterly surprising too. And in these verses, it's pretty obvious what's surprising, isn't it? Whenever we read that the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 8, there was something that if we look at Jesus with fresh eyes, if we look at him like the people in back in the day would have looked at him, there's something absolutely shocking and surprising about him, isn't there? What is it? He was able to heal people. He was able to heal people. He had this power of being able to heal other people. I've watched a lot of documentaries on people's lives. I've read a couple of biographies on people's lives. And I'm pretty confident that you could read any biography about any famous person. And what you won't find is that they have power to heal people like Jesus had. Jesus had this power, this ability, this authority to speak and have sickness cast out. To touch and have illness taken away. He had a power that, that is like nothing that had ever been seen before. He had a power like nothing that has ever been seen since. And here in verses 1 to 15, we read about him healing three different people. So in verses 1 to 4, we see him healing a leper. Then in verses 5 to 13, we see him healing a centurion servant. And then in verses 14 to 15, we see him healing Peter's mother-in-law. 
And these stories may be familiar to you this morning. Maybe you know these stories. Maybe you know what's happened. Maybe you know these true historical events. But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at them with fresh eyes. I want you to look at them anew and afresh. And my hope this morning is that as you do and as we do as a congregation, that we will be blown away by Jesus, surprised by him, that we'll fall in love with him again, that we'll remember the type of person he was and the type of God that we have. So let's take a look at these three healings this morning. And we'll start this morning with the leper. The leper. If you read through Matthew's gospel, like we've been working through, you'll see in chapter 7, Jesus has been up teaching on a mountainside. He's given a big long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And it's like in school, the bell has finished, class has ended, the class has been dismissed, and Jesus at the beginning of chapter 8 is coming down from the mountainside. And as he walks down from the mountain and the big crowd follows him, If you have a look in verse 2, Matthew tells us that a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy. I don't think we know anyone with leprosy, do we? I don't have any friends or family with leprosy. Leprosy is a disease today that in the UK is not really like it was back then. But in the ancient world, to have leprosy, to have a skin disease, we're not quite sure exactly what it was, but it was a skin disease that made the skin look diseased and damaged. Leprosy was the worst disease someone could have. It was the most dreaded disease that a person could have. Why? Well, lots of reasons, but let me give you three. First of all, leprosy excluded you from society. There are some diseases even today that if you get, you're put into quarantine. Do you remember in Africa, the Ebola outbreak, and if someone was, got Ebola, they were put into quarantine. They weren't allowed to be in contact with anybody else. Well, leprosy was like that in the ancient world. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, you had to leave your home. You had to leave your family. You had to leave your job. You had to leave your normal life, and you had to live outside the town. There were leper camps set up outside the towns. How awful would that be? separated from society, separated from your family, separated from your friends, separated from your job. Everything that's familiar is suddenly taken away from you because you have what's believed to be a contagious disease. It was awful to have leprosy. First of all, you're separated from society. And then another thing that you were cut off from, and I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, But if you were a leper, you were also cut off from physical contact. Leprosy was thought to be contagious, and so no one was allowed to touch you. And you weren't allowed to touch anybody else. Physical contact was off limits. Can you imagine how awful a life like that would be? Imagine no handshake. Imagine no hugs. Imagine no kisses. Imagine not being able to take the hand of your child or your grandchild. Imagine living in that leper's camp and no one would come to you and just put their hand on your shoulder or your hand and say, listen, we're thinking of you. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine a life with no physical touch, no no feeling, not being assured of anyone's love through physical contact. How awful. 
You can see why no one would want to be a leper, can't you? And the third reason leprosy was so dreaded in this very religious world, this very Jewish religious world, the the last reason it was so dreaded was because it cut you off from worshiping God at the temple. You see, every year the Jews were to go down to Jerusalem a number of times a year and they were to go into the temple and they were to offer sacrifices. They were to worship God with singing. They were to go through these brilliant services. They really loved it. This was part of life. This was part of being a Jew. People loved to go to the temple. They loved being with their their fellow brothers and sisters. But if you were a leper, you weren't allowed in. You were contagious. You couldn't be around people. You were classified as being ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go in to worship God. Imagine not being allowed into church. Imagine being barred from the community of God's people. That's kind of what it was like. And for these Jewish people, these these men and women who were lepers in this society, this was a huge deal. This was an awful thing to be cut off from the temple, to be cut off from the worship of God. And here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, one of these people, a man with leprosy, well, he comes to to Jesus. He comes to him. This man who's not allowed to be touched, this man who's separated from his family, this man who's cut off from the temple, he comes to Jesus. Now that's surprising, isn't it? That's really, really surprising. In fact, if you were reading this for the first time in the context that this was written, this would be really shocking. Because lepers were not allowed to go towards people. In fact, lepers, if they saw people coming towards them, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, how humiliating. They had to warn people, stay away from me, I've got leprosy. But here, really surprisingly, really shockingly, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, a man with leprosy approaches Jesus. He comes face to face with Jesus. Well, not face to face. He comes face to foot with Jesus because if you have a look at the passage, he kneels before Jesus. He kneels before Jesus. And when he gets before Jesus, he doesn't say, unclean, unclean. No, look what he says, verse 2. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What reverence. Lord, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Lord. You're you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who the Old Testament says will come with cleansing and healing in his wings. Oh, Lord, if if you're willing, I'm a leper. I'm, I'm of no standing in society. I can't tell you what to do, Jesus. But if you're willing to, I know that you can cleanse me. What confidence this leper had. What faith this leper had in Jesus. Utter confidence, total belief that Jesus was able to heal him and cleanse him. What reverence. Oh Lord Jesus, I am no one, but I know you're able to clean me. I know you're able to cleanse me. And Jesus does. He does cleanse him. He does heal him. But before he heals him, he does something that would have just surprised and shocked everyone standing around him. 
Jesus does something that would have shocked the first readers of this gospel. And he does something that if we look at it with fresh eyes, should surprise and shock us. What does Jesus do before he heals this leper? Do you see it in verse 3? What does he do? He touches him. He touches him. Look at verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. What love. What love is that? What compassion. What beauty. Here is this man and he would have had unkempt hair. And he would have had tattered clothes. He would have looked dirty. He would have had all sorts of skin disease all over his body. And what does Jesus do? He touches him. Was it a hug? I don't know. Was it a hand on the shoulder? I don't know. Was it a tender touch to the hand? I don't know. But Jesus touches him. He touches him. I wonder how long this man had been a leper for. One year, two years, ten years, twenty years. I wonder how long it had been since this leper had felt some sort of love. How long had it been since this leper had felt in some way loved and cared for? A long time, I guess. And yet this is what Jesus does. He, he touches him. And through that touch, what's he saying? He's saying, I love you. You outcast, you leper, you the one who, who, who no one wants to be around, you the one who is outcast in this society, I love you. My Father loves you. We care for you. What love Jesus shows him. What tenderness. What compassion. And then while Jesus has his hand on him, while Jesus is touching him, while Jesus is, is I guess, physically showing him that God loves him, what does he do next? Have a look. He says, be cleansed. I am willing to clean you, Jesus says. I'm willing to heal you. Be clean. And what are we told in verse 3? Have a look there. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Immediately he was cleansed. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that wonderful? Here was this leper unclean with leprosy with no way of getting rid of it. The doctors couldn't help him. He couldn't get rid of it himself. He was separated from people. He was separated from worshiping God. He was cut off from society. He could do nothing about it. He was completely and utterly stuck in this situation. But with boldness and confidence, he called out to Jesus to cleanse him. And Jesus touched him. And he did. He cleansed him. He made him whole. He left him blemish free. And folks, this is what Jesus does for each of us. This is what Jesus is willing to do for all of us. Maybe you're here this morning and you like this leper feel unclean. Maybe you look back at your life and you look at your past mistakes and maybe this morning you're in here and you're carrying the guilt of that. Maybe you're in here this morning and you feel unclean because of shameful things that you've said or thought or done in the past week or two weeks or month or year. 
and you've tried being a better person, but that doesn't take away that feeling of guilt and shame you have. You've tried changing, but you can't change. It's like you're stuck in this situation with this uncleanness feeling far from God. But folks, the great news this morning is that Jesus can cleanse you. He can make you blemish free. He can take away all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame. You know, whenever Jesus touches the leper, whenever I read it, I thought it was a little bit like a hoover. You know, it's like, it's like he touches the leper and then like, the, the, like the, the end of a hoover, it's like he sucks up the man's leprosy into himself and the leper's clean. It's like he takes the man's illness into his own body. And folks, that's what Jesus does on the cross. You see, on the cross, that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take into himself all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the mistakes, all of the guilt, all of the shame that we have. He's going to take it into himself and bear that in his body on the tree. So that if we cry out to him like this leopard, leopard did, oh, will you cleanse me? He will. Folks, this morning, if you're sin sick, there's one who can fix you. If you're sin sick this morning, there's one who can make you better. The Lord Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is just like this leper did, have confidence in him to do it and ask him to. Because like Jesus said to the leper, I am willing. He's willing this morning. He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to cleanse you. He's willing to give you a new life. He's willing to restore you to God. He's willing and he's able to do that this morning. What power Jesus had. What amazing power to heal. Having told us about the leper then, Matthew introduces us to a new person who met Jesus. And we meet him in verse 5. It's the centurion. Have a look there. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, A centurion, do you know what a centurion was? A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 100 men. Think of centimeter, 100 millimeters. Think of uh, uh, centipede, 100 legs. You get the idea. This centurion was a Roman soldier and he had 100 men under him. And being a Roman soldier meant that he was not a Jew. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't part of the worship of God. He wouldn't have gone to the temple for the annual celebrations. He was, I guess, a foreigner in this land. He was a Gentile. And the first thing that's really surprising is that this Gentile soldier approaches Jesus. This man who is, I guess, of the wrong race. He's not Jewish. This man who's wearing the wrong uniform. He's a Roman soldier. He's an occupying force. He approaches Jesus. How surprising is that? It's very surprising. But not only does he surprise Jesus through through just coming to him, but what he says is also surprising. Because this centurion is coming to Jesus on behalf of his servant. Have a look at verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. This centurion comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant. Now what we do not get living today is just how shocking and surprising this was. You see, servants in those days were just classified as a possession. 
They weren't classified as being human. They weren't classified as being important. They were simply classified as being a possession. You see, this centurion, he would have bought this servant and he would have treated him just like a possession. That's what mainly would have happened. Let me read you some quotes from from around the time of Jesus. Aristotle, in his work on ethics, says this, There should be no friendship and no justice towards inanimate things, as well as horse or ox or slave. Slaves are not human. They're just inanimate objects. You don't need to show them justice. You don't need to show them kindness. They're not worth anything. And then again, some Roman writings say this. They taught that the only difference between a horse and a slave is that a horse could speak. You see, in the days of Jesus, servants and slaves were not important. They weren't valued. They weren't valuable people. And yet this centurion, this centurion cares for this servant. And he cares so much about him that he he comes to Jesus, who, who the Jewish Messiah the Jewish king, the Jewish Lord. He says, Lord, my my servants at home and they're paralyzed and they're suffering. What a surprise this is, that this centurion cares for this servant. And then the next surprise is what Jesus says to him. Jesus says to him, shall I come to your house and heal him? Do you see that in verse seven? I'll come to your house, says Jesus. I'll tell you what, okay, that servant back there at your house, he's sick. Well, I tell you what, I'll come to your house and I'm going to heal him. That's a surprise. Because again, Jews would not go into the house of a Gentile. And yet here is Jesus, the most Jewish of Jews, the Jewish Messiah saying, I'll go to your house, centurion. I'll come home with you. Let's go together. Let's go now. I'm going to heal him. He's important to me as well as he is to you. Let's go. Then we come to another surprise. The centurion says, oh, please don't come to my house. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Yes, I'm a centurion. Yes, I'm part of the Roman guard. Yes, I'm a big deal in my workplace. Yes, I'm important in the eyes of Rome, but Lord, I, I don't deserve you to have to come, you come to my house. Have a look and see what it is in verse 8. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Can you imagine if the queen said she was going to come to your house? I mean, first of all, you think, oh, wow, how wonderful. And then the reality would hit in, wouldn't it? Even if you live in a palace, even if your house is immaculate, even if your house is wonderful, if the queen said she was coming to your house, what you would say is, oh, please don't. Please don't come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. You're too grand. You're too important. You're too powerful to to come to my house. Please don't come. And that's what's happening here. This centurion is just realizing the power and the authority and the majesty of Jesus. And he says to him, please don't come to my house, Lord. That's a surprise. But the next thing that's a surprise is the faith of him. The faith this man has in Jesus is, is incredible. The faith that he has to heal his servant is something that Jesus had never seen in all of Israel because what the centurion does is, he says, look, listen, Jesus, you see at work, I just tell my officers what to do and they do it. I just give the order from where I am and the hundred men under me, they do what they're told. 
And Lord, you see, whenever I'm at home, I just give the order at home and the servants do what they're told. And he says to him, Jesus, I know that, that you have this power and this authority over sickness and illness. So I'll tell you what, Lord, why don't you just say the word from where you are and I know he'll get better. Lord, you just give the command and I know that my servant will be well. And Jesus is blown away by this. In fact, he turns to his followers, he, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, guys, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. This Gentile, this Roman soldier, do you see how much confidence he has in my ability to heal? Do you see how much confidence he has in me and my power and my ability? I've never seen anything like this. And he says to his disciples, you know what, guys? You see on, in heaven, you see at that big feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you see at heaven, there's going to be many people who come from the east and the west. There's going to be many people who are not Jewish there because they're going to have faith in me. He's amazed at his faith. And then what Jesus does lastly is, well, he just gives the order and the servant is made better. He's healed from a distance. How amazing is that? How incredible is that? It's interesting, isn't it? What Jesus says. He says that there's going to be many insiders, many people who are in the family, many people who are Jewish who are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And there's going to be many people here from outside who are going to be in. See that? He says to his followers, people like the centurion, there's going to be many outsiders who are going to be in, but he also says there's going to be many people who think they're insiders who are going to be outside the kingdom of heaven. And folks, this morning I want you to think about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself in church and you feel like an outsider. Maybe you've no church background. Maybe you don't know the stories. Maybe you feel like an outsider to this thing called Christianity. Maybe you feel in some ways you don't belong. Maybe you wonder, could you ever belong? Well, if that's you, the great news is that that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring outsiders in. He's come to bring those with, with no religious background and no idea about him. He's come to bring them into his family. He's come to bring outsiders in. And if you're here and you feel like an outsider this morning, the good news is that whenever you put your trust in Jesus to bring you into the family, he does. But folks, there's the flip side of this. There's the flip side of this. Just take a look with me again at these very harsh words of Jesus, these words that should make us perhaps question where we are this morning. Look at verse 12. He says, But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot of outsiders, Jesus says, are going to be insiders. But he says there's going to be some people who think they're inside. They think they're inside because of their religiosity. They think they're inside because of their good living. They think they're inside because they go to church, because they do religious things. But he says, on that last day, there's going to be some of these people who are going to be outside. Now, why is that? 
It's because they've never actually trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've never relied on Jesus to bring them into the kingdom. They've relied on their religiosity. They've relied on their Christian heritage. But they've never relied on Christ. And folks, I want to say to you this morning, and I'm saying it because Jesus says it. I'm saying it because he gives that warning. If you're here this morning and you've been coming to church your whole life, if you're here this morning and you grew up in a Christian family and you grew up in a Christian home and you've done Christian things your whole lives, that is good and that's brilliant. But if you've never actually trusted Christ, if you've never put your faith in him, if you've never made him the king and lord of your life, if you've never relied on him for the forgiveness of your sin, if you're not trusting Jesus this morning, it doesn't matter how religious you are. Jesus said that on that last day, you will be an outsider. And folks, I don't want that for any of you. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're religious but you don't have Jesus, put your trust in him, put your faith in him, rely on him. Trust him for your salvation this morning. Okay, let's move to the final healing, Peter's mother-in-law. Having been teaching all day, having now healed some people, Jesus, I guess, must have been a little bit hungry. And so he's in Capernaum, and Peter lives there. His mother-in-law must live with him. What a nightmare scenario that would be. But anyway, the mother-in-law must live with him. And so Jesus goes to the house, and they go in the door, and verse 4 tells us, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. There she is, she's sick, she's not very well. And again, Jesus, he has compassion on her, doesn't he? And what does he do? Look at verse five, like the leper, he touches her hand and he doesn't say a word, he just touches her hand and the fever leaves her. And what does she do? She gets up and she serves them. She gets up and she gets involved in in getting some food ready for them. She gets up and, and she serves Christ. Jesus doesn't wait to be asked here. He just goes and he he has compassion on her and he heals her. Now there's something surprising in this. And it's something you may not realize. But what's surprising here is that Jesus touches and heals a woman. In our society, we don't find that surprising, do we? But in the context This, again, is a big surprise because Jewish men were not allowed to touch women who weren't their wife. It's seen as something that would make them unclean. And women at the time of Jesus were also outcasts in society to some degree. You see, the lepers, they were outcasts. We know that. They lived in the outskirts of the city. No one wanted to be a leper. No one would touch a leper. People looked down on lepers. And centurions, Roman soldiers, they were outcasts as well. There's some parts of Belfast or Londonderry, if you go to and ask them what they think of British soldiers, they'll tell you things that we could not say in church. And that's the way people thought of Roman soldiers, outcasts. We don't want them here. They shouldn't be here. They were outcasts. But folks, at the time of Jesus, women to some degree were outcasts as well. Women to some degree were outcasts as well. Every day, Jewish men at the time of Jesus prayed 18 benedictions, 18 prayers. Let me read you one of them to show you just how women were outcast. One of these prayers is this, I thank you, Lord, that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, 
or a woman. Women were outcasts. Women were not to be touched. And yet here Jesus goes and he just takes her by the hand. He doesn't care what society says. He doesn't care how this is viewed by other people. He just takes her by the hand and he makes her better. He takes her by the hand and the fever leaves her. You see, folks, the the surprising thing in this passage, it's not actually that Jesus has the power to heal. The surprising thing is who he heals. He heals the outsiders. He heals the outcasts. He heals those who are rejected by society. He heals those who are not accepted by the religious norm. The leper, the centurion, the woman. And you see, this is the reason he does it. It's to show everybody around him that God is interested in the outsiders. That God loves the outsiders. That God wants to bring the outsiders in. That God has compassion on those who find themselves outside of his family and he wants to draw them in. He wants to bring outsiders in that they can worship God. He wants to bring outsiders in so they can enjoy heaven. He wants to bring outsiders in so they can serve him. You see, the biggest shock here is that Jesus loves the outsider and he wants to bring the outsider in. What about us? What about us? Do we? Do we love the outsider? Do we love the outcast? Do we want to see them brought in? There's some challenging questions, aren't they? But folks, what I want you to do this morning is that Jesus does. That is his heart. That's his desire. And what I want us to pray this morning as we finish is that he would make it ours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love all people. You love us, those of us who are inside the family, those of us who've trusted Jesus as a forgiver, those of us who are one of your children. We thank you this morning that you love us and you care for us and you're compassionate and you're kind to us. But Lord, this morning as we look at the actions of Jesus, we're reminded that you love the outsiders. You love those who don't know you. You love those who don't follow you. You love those who are outcasts in society. You love those who don't belong. And Lord, we would pray that you'd give us a love for them too. Give us a love for all people. Give us a desire to see them saved. Give us a desire to see them come into our church family. Give us a desire to see them transformed. Give us a desire to see them serve you. And then give us the compassion of Christ to go to them and to reach out a hand of friendship and love and to share with them the good news and their lives as well. Oh Lord, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your kindness. Make us people who are more like you, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen.